go to the Lord in prayer. We want to ask the Lord to bless everything going on here tonight. And, uh, of course, the teenager in the back, we want to pray for them. The Iwana across the way, remember all these things. Of course, remember, pray for Brother Ken. I think he finishes up tonight, if I'm not mistaken, at Pee Wee Valley. So we want to pray for him. He'll be preaching tonight. And so we want to pray for all these things. I appreciate you praying for me last week as I was up in West Virginia. Uh, I don't get to preach as much as Brother Ken does going out, but when I do get the chance, I sure do enjoy it. And had a good week and had a good meeting up there, and I appreciate the church praying for me while I was up there. But, but let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. And I'll ask Brother Sam Ellison if you would lead us in prayer tonight. <clears throat> yes, Lord. Amen. Remain standing. We'll continue to sing. Page 519. Love lifted me. 519. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. above Jesus completely saves he will lift you by his love out of the angry waves he's the master of the sea billows his will obey he your savior wants to be be saved today love lifted me That's good. Praise the Lord. I ask the ushers to come. We'll take up the regular Wednesday evening offering. And as they do, I do have one announcement I'd like to make. I was given this just before church. Uh, Carl, and I'm sure I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Vano, Vano, how is that, Brother Arlen? Carl Vano. He's with BIMI Claim Ministries. And the first week in June, just a couple days away, they're going to be going to Mexico. And they are in need of some help, and if, especially help from people who have some uh, carpentry skills if um, if you happen to have some vacation or if you happen to be able to take some time off uh, be interested in doing that uh, going down to Mexico with uh, the claim ministries they'll be going down doing some work and things such as that if you're interested in that see brother Arlen tonight and and he has some information but he can get in touch with uh, get you in touch with brother Carl if you're interested in that so make sure you you see him and also uh, of course we'll have our prayer time in a little bit uh, our missionary of the week and, and church of the week and these things but also Loray Eli called the house tonight called talked to my wife and uh, her dad is in the hospital and I guess it was either today or yesterday sometime real soon he had uh, balloon surgery had a stent put into his heart and uh, so we want to pray for him and remember this request as well but as you know on Wednesday nights everything that's taken 
received on Wednesday night goes to support our Bible conference in the fall. And so you be faithful to your giving tonight. And I know the Lord will bless you for doing so. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, again, we come into your presence thanking you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for the privilege to be in your family. Thank you for saving us. And we count it a tremendous privilege to be here in your house tonight and to be able to give. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with us this service. I pray you'll bless this service and I pray you'll bless this gift. Bless the giver and we'll help, pray that we'll help it to use it to the, for the furtherment of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll never worry 
Praise the Lord. I enjoyed that song. Appreciate that, Brother Buddy. Take your Bibles, if you would, and find the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter number 16. 1 Samuel, chapter number 16. And tonight I want to bring a message on this thought. The man God chooses. The man God chooses. Find your place, 1 Samuel, chapter 16. I want to read several verses here out of 1 Samuel 16. We'll start in verse number 1 and... I want to read down through verse number 13. This is a fairly familiar story. I know you'll be familiar with this as we read it. But I want to bring to you some thoughts that I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks, really, about this particular passage of Scripture. If you found your place, stand to your feet out of respect for the public reading of the Word of God. And let's read 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a, take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he, and, uh, he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shema to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose, uh, rose up and went to Ramah. You may be seated, and we want to go to the Lord in prayer. And tonight I want to look at this particular story, this passage of Scripture, and I want to think about the man God chooses. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for this evening. We do thank you for the place of prayer. Thank you that you are a God that hears our prayers. We thank you that you are a God that answers our prayers. And Lord, we do thank you for your word tonight. We pray that as we look into your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would speak to my heart. I pray that you would speak to every heart that is here tonight. <clears throat> and I pray that as we walk out of here tonight, we'll walk out of here a changed people and we'll be challenged and encouraged to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but have you ever looked around at the people that God's using? Maybe some of the, the men of God that you like to listen to on the radio. Maybe the pastor of this church, Brother Ken, or, or other people that you look up to. Have you ever looked at them and wonder, 
What is it about that person is so special? Why would God choose this person to do the things that he is doing? What's so special about this person? Why does God, why does God do these kind of things? How does God go about choosing his men and women for service? Well, as I thought about that, and I thought about this particular passage of Scripture, I thought that that question was kind of answered in these verses right here, in the life of David. I want to look at the beginning of David's life. I want to look at the beginning of David's career. There has been some that have said, arguably, that David is probably was the greatest man in all the Old Testament. Arguably, some have said that. He is, mentioned, uh, he is the most mentioned person in the Old Testament. You read through the Old Testament, you'll find that David is mentioned some 600 times. In fact, if you'll even read the New Testament, you'll find that David was mentioned over 60 times in the New Testament. So there's been those that have said that David is probably the greatest man in the Old Testament. Now, of course, there is Abraham, uh, the father of the nation of Israel. There was Moses, the great lawgiver to the children of Israel. But think about David. David was the second king of the land of Israel. And without question, David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And when you look through, you read through the Bible and, and you look at the Bible, Old and New Testament, you find that the link between David and Christ is unmistakable as you read through the Bible. When you read the New Testament, you find in the very first book, in the very first chapter, in fact, on the first page of the New Testament, you read about David, where it talks about Jesus is called the son of David. So he's on the first page of the New Testament. But he's also on the last page of the New Testament. When uh, Jesus, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, where it talks about uh, Jesus is called the root and offspring of David. So David is a very prominent character. In fact, when you read about David's life, uh, you find that, or you read about David, when the, when the angel talked about Jesus being born, announced Christ being born, it said that Christ would be born in the city of David, Bethlehem. And it talks about the kingdom that David had, the throne that David sat, sat upon. The Bible predicts that that kingdom will last forever, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself will sit upon the throne of his father, David. So all through the Bible, you read about this character, David. He's a very central character in God's plan for the ages. Now, when you study the life of David, David, I, enjoy, I love the life of David. And I don't know about you, but David is somebody that I can, I can identify with. When you look at the life of David, it's easy, we easily can see a little bit of ourself in David. David was a man that was filled with hopes and fears. David was a man who, who experienced some glorious victories, but also experienced some miserable defeats. You read about the life of David and you see that there, the problems that he faced in his life in many ways are the exact same problems that we face in our life. And not only that, you find that the solutions that David found to his problems centuries ago are the same solutions that we find to our problems today. But what was it about David? What was it that made him so special? Why did God choose him? How does God go about choosing his men and women for, for his service? Well, every story has its beginning. Every story has its starting place. And you have the starting place to David's career right here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want, you, I want you to look at this beginning, at the very beginning of David's life, at the very beginning of David's career and his service for the Lord. And I want to point out three things in David's life that I think helps me to determine how God goes about choosing his man or choosing his woman for the service of God. First of all, I would say this. David was appointed in God's plan. David was appointed in God's plan. David was appointed by the plan of God. Now, I, and it's said from this pulpit many, many times that God has a plan. God has a purpose for every person that is here tonight, every member of Temple Baptist Church, every person that is saved and knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. God has a plan for their life. 
And But when you think about the plan of God for our lives, there are two major factors. There are two major factors involved in God's plan for your life and for my life. There's the heavenly factor and there is the earthly factor. There's God's part in the plan and then there is your part in the plan or my part in the plan. I want you to think about this, this plan of God, and as, particularly as it relates to this story that we have before us. I want you to first of all to note the earthly circumstances. The earthly circumstances. It is amazing for me somehow to watch, sometimes to watch how God arranges the circumstances in our life. You can look, I'm no doubt you can look back at your life, at your past, and if you've been serving God very long, you can see how the circumstances of your life have, has, God has worked them about and worked them in such a way and He's combined them all together just perfectly to bring you to the place that you are right now. And He's done all these, God's worked around all these circumstances and worked about these circumstances in your life and my life to bring about that plan that He has appointed in our life. You think about the story here in 1 Samuel 16. You know the context. How God had rejected Saul as king. Saul was guilty of disobedience. God was displeased with him and God rejected him as a king. And now God wants to appoint a new king. God is ready to go find, go appoint a new king for the children to, to reign over the children of Israel. And God goes to Samuel and he says, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to find Jesse. Jesse has a number of children. He has, he has eight boys. And, and Samuel, I want you to meet those boys. And among those boys, I'm going to show you which one that I want you to anoint as the new king of, uh, of Israel. So you see Samuel. He goes down to Bethlehem. And you see Samuel working about all the circumstances that's going on so that God could appoint a new king to preside and to reign over his people. Now what this reminds me as I think about this, I'm just reminded of how God uses the everyday circumstances of your life. God will use the everyday circumstances in my life to bring about His plan. Sometimes good things happen in our life and that's God doing things to putting those circumstances in there so He could perform His plan. Sometimes God puts bad things in our lives and He allows bad circumstances to take place in our life, but all along God is working His plan. Do you know there very, it very well could be that some of you, there might be one or two of you might go to work tomorrow to find out that your corporation or whoever it is you work for, is, they're wanting to go experience, they're wanting to have some downsizing, and you're going to be downsized. It's very possible somebody could go to work tomorrow and you might get laid off. But you know what God could be doing? God could be using those circumstances. God be, could be put you in those circumstances because He's going to open up a door for you over here. And God wants to do something else for you. But God uses the circumstances of life to bring about His plan. Think about some, uh, it's very possible somebody might go to the hospital tomorrow and you may find out that you have some illness. It may be a serious illness, but you know what? It very well could be that God is wanting to put you in that place so that He could do something miraculous in your life and through your life and you could be a testimony to hundreds of people around you. But God, all the time, He's using the circumstances of life to bring about His perfect plan. There are the earthly circumstances. But there's a second part to the plan of God. Not only is there the earthly circumstances, but secondly, there is the heavenly call. There is the heavenly call. You notice throughout all of this, this is God's plan. God is the one that rejected Saul. God is the one that talked to Samuel. God is the one that told Samuel to go to Bethlehem and to meet Jesse and to meet all of his, all of his children. And there He would point a new king. God is the one that is behind the scenes and God is the one that is working all of these circumstances. But here's what I want you to notice. As you read the story, as you know the story, the central character here is David. The whole story is about David. God's got a plan for David. God wants David to be the new king of the children of Israel, of the nation of Israel. But where is David right now? 
All these things are going on, and David is nowhere to be found. Where is David? David's out in the field watching sheep. David's out in the field watching his father's sheep. He has no idea what, what's going on. David has no idea the circumstances that are taking place back, at, back in town, back in Bethlehem. He has no clue what's going on. He has, he's totally oblivious to what God is doing. He has no idea about the circumstances that is unfolding back in Bethlehem. You see, David has no idea that God has rejected Saul as king. He didn't know that. David has no idea that God had, talk, had spoke to Samuel and gave him this particular plan. David had no idea. David had no idea that at that very moment Samuel was at his dad's house and Samuel was looking at, at David's seven older brothers. David had no idea what was going on. And it just reminds me that God is constantly at work in your life. God is constantly at work in my life. And, and in the, all the circumstances that's going on, anything, whatever's going on in your life, whether it's real exciting or whether it's dry as it could possibly be, God is in complete control and God is working the circumstances in your life to bring about His plan. And many times we are completely and totally unaware. We have no idea what God is doing. But God is constantly at work, working the circumstances, working the earthly circumstances to bring about his heavenly call to bring about his plan. So I think about the life of David. I think, first of all, how he was appointed in God's plan. But there's a second thing I want you to notice. Not only was David appointed in God's plan, but number two, he was anointed by God's prophet. David was anointed by God's prophet. Now I would imagine that David, on this particular day, we read the story, I would say when David woke up that morning, my guess is that that day started off just like any other day had started off for David. I'd say he got up. I imagine he probably walked down to the brook. He probably got some water in his hands, washed his hands. He maybe splashed his face a little bit. Then I see he, I can imagine he probably went over and he got some feed for the sheep. And he went and he, out and he, and he, went out and he fed the sheep. Then he probably sat down on the hillside so that he could watch all of his sheep. And he was making sure, watching out for wolves and lions and bears and all these different things. And he probably, after he got all those things taken care of, David maybe even got out his harp and he began to practice the song that he wrote last week. And David, he's totally oblivious to what go, what's going on. And he, he, uh, every, this day began like every other day had begun for him in, in days gone by. But all of a sudden, uh, some breathless messenger runs up to David and he says, David, David, Samuel's in town and he's calling for you. He wants to see you. He wants you to come to Bethlehem right now because he wants to see you. David has no idea what's going on. He has no idea of the things that's happening. He has, at this very moment, Samuel is back in Bethlehem, and Samuel has already met Jesse. Samuel has already met David's seven older brothers, and we'll look at that in a minute. But when I think about this particular part of the story, I think of two things, two important principles that I see in this story. First of all, I think about how man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance. You see, Samuel, he was in Bethlehem, Samuel had met Jesse and, Jesse, and he wanted to meet all of Jesse's sons. So I could see Jesse as he brings out his first son. And I, pardon me, I just, as I, my imagination and just how I picture it probably happened, Samuel wants to meet Jesse's sons. And so Samuel, or Jesse brings out his first son. His first son, his name is Eliab. Now, as I picture Eliab in my mind and in my head, I picture Eliab as being a, a, a tall, dark, and handsome individual. I can picture him maybe being muscular, having an athletic build. I can picture Eliab. He was probably the star running back for the Bethlehem High School football team. He was just, when you looked at him, this was an impressive fellow. I mean, he was put together like an athlete. 
And, when, and I can imagine Samuel, as he looked at, he's, he looked at Eliab, I can imagine as he looked at, looked at him, he says, Man, man, this job's going to be easier than I thought. I was worried about coming down here and such a big job, picking out the new king for the children of Israel. But look at this guy. In fact, this guy reminds me of Saul. You remember when they chose Saul? They said how good-looking Saul was, how he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And I can see Samuel as he looks at Eliab and he says, Man, surely... This is the Lord's anointed. And God says, no, nope, no, nope, Samuel, that's not the one. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages my heart. When I think of the, about the matter, that I don't have to be good-looking for God to be able to use me. I don't know about you, but I can say amen to that. You don't have to be good-looking. And many times in the, in the culture in which we live, Stephen said amen, I saw that. Uh, in our culture in which we live, we get the idea that if, if somebody is handsome or somebody is good-looking and attractive, that they're more valuable than somebody else, that they're more important than everybody else or somebody else that maybe is not quite so attractive. But here we see that God, just because alive, he may have been tall, dark, and handsome, but that was not the basis on which God was going to choose the new king. So Eliab uh, was not the man that God chooses. So Jesse, he brings out his second son. His name is Abinadab. Now again, pardon my imagination, but I can almost picture Abinadab. He, Abinadab, to me, just seems like he might have been a real intellectual fella. I just can picture Abinadab, he come out, he probably had the, the real thick Coca-Cola glasses on. He was, the, he was a real whiz kid. His older brother was probably the star running back for the football team. Well, Abinadab, he was probably the valedictorian down at the high school. He was a real smart fella. And I can picture Samuels. He looks at Abinadab and he says, Oh, yeah, no, no, we didn't want that first guy. This is what we need. But running a kingdom, that's a big deal. You need somebody smart. You need somebody that knows their stuff. Abinadab, that's the man we need. God, surely this is your anointed. And God says, Nope, Samuel, that's not the one either. Again, I can say amen to this. You know what? You don't have to have a high IQ in order for God to be able to use you. Just like Abinadab here, he may have been very smart. He may have been a real whiz kid. But that was not the man that God chose for the job. By now, Samuel's probably getting a little confused. He's like, well, okay, well, let's look at the third guy. So the third son of Jesse comes out. His name is Shema. Now, as I picture Shema, I picture him coming out. Shema comes out, and Shema is a real cool dude now. He comes out wearing his Armani suit. He has on his alligator skin shoes and a matching alligator skin belt. He has on designer shirt and a designer tie. And Samuel looks at him and says, that's what we need. Man, we need a king that can really mix it up with the upper, the upper crowd in, in the kingdom. We need, we need a king that can really mix it up with people and get in good with the upper echelons of the community. But God says, no, Samuel, that's not the one either. You see, it's not the one with the greatest fashion sense. It's not the one who can afford the greatest clothes and, and wear the greatest clothes that God's going to choose. Now, the Bible here tells names, th the first three sons that came out, doesn't name the rest of them that come out, but you see what Samuel's doing. You see what Samuel's doing? Samuel is making the same mistake that many of us make. Samuel is making his decision. Samuel is making his judgment based upon their outward appearance. He's looking on their outside that one of them looks tall, dark, and handsome. He thinks that might be him. One of them is real smart. He thinks that might be the guy. He looks at one that's real snazzy dresser. That might be the guy. Samuel is looking at the outward appearance. Not only Samuel, though, I think about Jesse, David's father. Now, Jesse knew what Samuel was there for, especially when he looked at the first several of his sons. But you know what? Jesse never even called for David to come home. David's own father didn't have enough, uh, didn't think highly enough of his son to even bother calling him in out of the field to meet Samuel. 
His, his own father didn't have high enough opinion of him to have him come in. You know, as I thought about it, you know, we make that mistake all the time in our, in our culture. Uh, our culture is full of, of this problem right here, where all the time we're guilty of looking what, at what a person looks like, considering what they are on the outside. We look at the outward appearance all the time, and we think, man, can God really use that person? Man, look at what they've got. Look at the talent. Look at the abilities. Look at the good looks. Look at the intelligence. Man, God can really use that person. And all the time we're looking at the outward appearance. And I think you, our young girls, probably some of them right back there, Terry's preaching to them right now, and there's some young girls in there that possibly could be thinking they have to look a certain way in order for them to be attractive. And, now, and, that, and because of that, you have all kinds of these eating disorders that we hear about all the time. And when people, this happens all the time. Young people do this all the time when they're going to get married. They'll look at each other, and they're looking totally at the outside. They look totally at the outward appearance. She will marry him because he's handsome. He will marry her because she's good-looking. Then after they get married, and they get to know one, one another, they begin to curse the day they ever met. Why? Because they're looking at the outward appearance. And that's what man does. We are constantly looking at the outward appearance. And I want to say, I hope... You're old enough, and you remember when you were children. Man, kids can be so cruel, can't they? Kids can be so cruel, making fun of somebody because they don't wear the, the latest styles, or maybe because they've got wear glasses, or because maybe they're not just like everybody else. And kids can be so cruel. We should never make so fun of somebody because of their outward appearance. And I would say to Sunday school teachers, especially those of you Sunday school teachers that have children in your class, I hope you never. Let one of the kids in your class make fun of somebody else because of their outward appearance. That is a terrible, terrible thing to do. But man looks at the outward appearance. But there's a second principle in the story. Man looks at the outward appearance, but secondly, God looks at the inward appearance. And I thank God for that, don't you? God looks at the inward appearance. Look at verse number 7. Samuel had just met Eliab, the first son... He said, he looked, he's tall, dark, and handsome. Look what God said to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Praise God that he looks at the heart. He doesn't look at me and see how good-looking I am. He doesn't look at me and see how well-dressed I may or may not be. He doesn't look at me and find out how smart I may or may not be. God looks at my heart, and God looks at your heart. He looks at the inside. God is not concerned with what's on the outside. See, God knows how smart you are. He gave you the intellect that you have. God knows how pretty or whatever you may be because God gave you those looks. God's not interested in those things. God is interested in the heart. You see, God is more interested in a man's convictions than he is his countenance. God, when God looks at you, he looks to see if there's faith. He does not look at your face. God is more interested in your morals than he is moxie. And we see in the story how that God did not choose any of David's brethren, regardless of the outward appearance, of, regardless of what talents and skills they may have had, God said, nope, that's not the one. But we finally get down to David. And as you know in the story, David is the one that is chosen. Now there's an interesting statement made about David. Back several chapters, I'll not have you turn there. But in 1 Samuel chapter 13, in verse number 14, God makes a statement about David that's made of no other person in all the Bible. There's a statement made about David that's made about no other person in all the Bible. In the context of that, you can turn to it if you want, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. In the context... 
God has rejected Saul as the king because of his disobedience. And verse 14 says this, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. And this is what the Lord said, The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. He's talking about David. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Now that exact statement is, is written again in, in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, David was known as a man who had a heart that was after the heart of God. Now what does that mean? What, what does that mean? David had a heart that was after the heart of God. Does that mean David was some kind of superman? No. You read about the life of David, you'll find that David in many ways was a very weak man. Does that mean David was a perfect man? Well, we know that's not the case. David sinned in many ways in some of the most public and, and disgusting sins that could be committed. David was guilty of these things. He was not a superman. David was not a perfect man. But David was a man who, who had a heart that was after the heart of God. You know what I think that means? That, you know what I think that means? I think David had a heart that was sensitive to the heart of God. I think David's heart was prone to the heart of God. I think David had a heart that was tender toward God. David was the kind of man, he was guilty of, of so many different things and he committed so many different sins. Yes, he did those things. But David had a heart that God could speak to. David, he lived the kind of life God could get David's attention very easily. When, when God spoke to David, David was listening. He had a heart that was after the heart of God. And you know, when you read through the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. The heart is very, very important. Not, not so much physically as the Bible talks about it, although obviously it's very important physically, but spiritually. The Bible has a lot to say about the heart spiritually. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In another place it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Look at verse number 12. We see that David was a man after God's own heart. In verse number 12, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with, and, and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. Well, we've already looked at that the outward appearance didn't matter. That's not what God was looking at. Your outward appearance does not qualify you or disqualify you for the service of God. But we see that David was, was good looking. And the Lord said, Arise. He said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him for this is he. We read in the story how God chose David. God, David was God's choice to be the next king over the nation of Israel. Not only that, not only do we see that, that God appointed David and God chose David, but in verse 13 we see that God also anointed David. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. We see in the story that, that David is chosen as the new king and, and as soon as he is chosen, as soon as he is appointed, as soon as God says that's the man, what happens? God anoints him. God, it's an, it's an amazing thing to me to see how God uses some people, how God uses some people from some of the most peculiar places with some of the most peculiar backgrounds. I think about even where Christ was raised. Jesus, he was raised in the town of Nazareth. You read about Nazareth. Nazareth was a town that was very much looked down on in, in, those, in those days. It was, a, it was kind of a hick town. And it was a town that people kind of made fun of. And not only that, Jesus was born into a poor family in that town. And it was, a, one of, it was the most unlikely setting of all. But from that setting 
came the Savior of the world. And I, it just reminds me of 1 Corinthians. Brother Ken's preaching through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. This is what Paul said. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. You know what that tells me? And this story tells me God does not choose His men and God does not choose His women based upon our outward appearance. God looks at our heart. God looks to see what's on the inside and God makes His decision based on what's on the inside. You know what that tells me? I don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about what your background is. You don't have to worry about where you came from. You don't have to worry about what you look like and what the abilities and talents that you may or may not have. God's not interested in those things. God, is, God has His eye on you just like He had His eye on David. And God has a plan for your life. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that God could take any person, any individual, any person in this auditorium, and God can make you into a spiritual giant. If your heart is in the right place, God could take anybody in this room and make you a spiritual giant. If your heart is in the right place, you say, no, Brian, not me. You don't know me the way I know me. You can't do that. Yes, he can. If God appoints you, God will also anoint you. I think about this story right here. God called David. David, you're going to be the next king of the nation of Israel. And as soon as he called him to do that, God anointed him. God gave David exactly what he needed to do the job that God had called him to do. From that day forward, David was a different person. The Bible says that day, the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Where God, anoint, where God appoints, God anoints. Where God, where God uh, guides, God provides. Whatever God asks you to do, God will give you the ability to do it. If He appoints you to do something, He will anoint you. He will give you the ability to do that thing. So we see David. Think about David. I want you to think about a third thing in the story. Not only do we see that David was appointed in God's plan, not only was David anointed by God's prophet, but thirdly and finally we see that David was acquainted with God's preparation. David was acquainted with God's preparation. David has just been told, David, you are going to be the next king of Israel. Now what was it about David's life that had prepared him for this? We already learned about his heart. He was a man after the heart of God. But why David? What was so special about David? Why? How had God prepared David for this day? For this announcement. Well, there's two things I think about when I think about David's preparation for what God had called him to do. First of all, <clears throat> I think about how David was prepared in obscurity. David was prepared in obscurity. You see, David spent all of his time out there in a the field. David spent all of his time out there in the desert watching over those sheep. Now, I would say that's a pretty obscure place. And obscurity is one of the best places to train spiritual leaders for the work of God. David was brought up in a town of Bethlehem. And you read the Old Testament where it has, where it has Old Testament listings of towns. When it talks about the, the area of Judah, Bethlehem's not even listed. That's how small a town Bethlehem was. But obscurity sometimes teaches humility. Sometimes God will put us in solitude so that He can have the time to make us and to shape us into what He wants us to to be. Now this is something that's not, that's not uh, this is something you'll find in several places in the Bible. There are many times in the Bible 
When God is wanting to prepare somebody for something great, he will do it in obscurity. I think about Paul. I think about the Apostle Paul. Now, everybody here is familiar with Paul's dramatic conversion experience when he was on the, on the road to Damascus and the, 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 the bright light shone about and he fell off of his horse and, and God spoke to him and there was a glorious conversion experience. Everybody's heard about that. But there's a couple verses in the Bible that not, I don't hear talked about too much. Did you know not long after Paul was saved, God sent him to the deserts of Arabia for three years. God sent Paul to the deserts, deserts of Arabia for three years. Years. Now, why do you think God did that? I think God sent him to the desert, to a place of obscurity, so that he could prepare Paul for what it was, he was that God had for him to do. Somebody, one writer said that Paul, he went, he went away, he went to the deserts with uh, Moses and the prophets in his knapsack, and he came home with uh, Romans and Ephesians in his He spent 40 years of his life. 40 years of Moses' life was spent on the backside of the desert somewhere, watching over his father-in-law's sheep. Forty years. He was in the wilderness. He was in, he was in the desert with, with sheep. Why would God have this man like Moses? He had been trained in the best schools of Egypt. He had been trained very intelligent, this man was. He had leadership abilities. He had, he had talent. He had gifts. And yet God took him to the backside of the desert for 40 years. Why? He was preparing him for the next 40 years of his life where Moses would lead the children of Israel in the desert area or in, in the wilderness. So God took Moses to a desert place, to an obscure place to, to train him for what God had for him to do. And we see David. David was trained. David was prepared for the work of God in obscurity. But there's a second thing I think about David's preparation. Not only was David prepared in obscurity... But David was prepared by activity. David was prepared by activity. David was a busy young man. Now your average teenager, I remember when I was a teenager, I didn't want to do nothing. I'd get grounded every other week because I was lazy as I could be. I hated all the, the, uh, the, the chores that I had to do around the house. And I guess, I don't know if a lot of teenagers are that way or not. I guess I'll find out here in a couple of years. But David was busy. David was tending sheep. Now, that's not always an easy job to do. We get the picture. You think about tending sheep. You think about sheep, these little cuddly things, little pretty cute lambs. But that's, that might be you know, a part of it sometimes. But most of the time, you think about these sheep. These sheep were dumb. They were directionless. And uh, these sheep, they got lost all the time. They were dirty. And they got lost all the time. It was a constant job that David had. He constantly had to be watching over them sheep. He had to be careful because they were dumb and they would go out and they'd get themselves lost and they'd do all these things and he had to watch and make sure the bear and the lion and the wolves and all these things didn't come in. David was busy. And I'm sure part of the time was kind of routine and kind of ordinary, but there was David. He was out there watching those sheep. He was unknown, he was unappreciated, he was unapplauded, and he was unseen, but God was getting him ready. God was getting him ready for something. Let me tell you something. God never calls anybody from doing nothing to do something else. God will never call somebody from doing nothing to do something else. If you, want, if you want God to use you in your life, if you want God to do something big in your life, then you better be faithful in the little things that God may have in your life now. God might be looking at you and your life might be real ordinary, might be real routine. But God has got his eye on you just like he had his eye on David. 
And if you will be faithful in the little things, if you will be faithful in the ordinary, somewhere down the road, God might let you do the extraordinary. David was God's man. You think about, you read about David's life, you study David's life. In the power of the Holy Spirit, David slew Goliath. In the power of the Holy Spirit, David won many military campaigns. In the power of the Holy Spirit, David led the nation of Israel. But it all started with a little shepherd boy who had a heart that was prone toward God, a little shepherd boy whose heart was tender toward God. He was a man after God's own heart. I think about David, the man that God chooses. God appointed David in his plan. God anointed him to accomplish that plan, and then God gave him the preparation that he needed to do that plan. As I read this story, as I thought about this story this week, my heart is, is both encouraged and challenged by this particular story. My heart is encouraged is when I realize, when I read this story, that I don't have to be the smartest, I don't have to be the best looking, I don't have, the, have, to, have to have the most talent in order for God to be able to use, use me. That encourages my heart. I'm encouraged to know that if God does call me to do something, and when God does call me to do something, that He will anoint me. If God appoints me to do something, then He will anoint me. He will enable me to do what He called me to do. I, my heart is encouraged when I read this story. But my heart is also challenged as I think about this story. My heart is challenged because I do have to guard my heart. We have to guard our heart with all diligence. And my heart is challenged because I realize that I do have to be faithful in the little things. If, I, if we ever hope to do anything big for God, we better be faithful in the little things that He has us doing right now. And my heart is challenged to be faithful in serving Him because I realize that God will never call me from doing nothing to do something else. As for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed, and I, I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those men God chooses. How about you? Do you want to be one of those men? Do you want to be one of those women that God chooses? I do. Thank the Lord for the men that God chooses. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story. I thank you for the men and women that you do choose. And Lord, I pray you'll just help all of us here to guard our hearts. Help us all to be faithful, to the, even if it's just the little things that you have called us to do right now. Because we know, God, that even greater things could be right around the corner. We think about David here, and for, during these days he was watching out for lions. He was fighting lions and bears and wolves. And, but you were preparing him for the day where he would face the mighty giant. And just like you protected him and you helped him as he fought the lions and the bears, you protected him and you helped him when he fought the giants. And we do thank you for that. Lord, help us all to be men and women that you could choose. May our hearts be faithful. May our hearts be prone toward you. May our hearts be tender toward you, Lord. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, take your prayer sheet if you would. And we want to go to the Lord in prayer. We want to remember the missionary of the week and our church of the week. Our missionary of the week is Faith Children's Home here in, in, in Chickamauga, Georgia. Uh, Brother Richard Thompson is the director there, so we want to pray for this particular mission and remember uh, this ministry here. And then our church of the week is Pee Wee Valley Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Brother Ken is there tonight preaching. Sister Sherry, is he finishing tonight? Tonight's the last night? Okay. want to remember the meeting there and remember Brother Elza Lamb. Remember that church. And then our hospital list, Juanita Warnick's in Huntsville. And Gertrude Hubbard is in Memorial. 
And then also remember Mike Allen. This is Eric Allen's father. Uh, had surgery today. So we especially want to remember him as well. And then I, was, there was an, I talked to somebody on the phone today, and this is to be an unspoken request, but another of our church family that has a need, a physical need. And so we, I just, uh, and Lord knows who it is and what I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, as an unspoken request, I'll ask that you remember that as well. Well, just before we go to the Lord in prayer and just before we have those that want to come down to the altar, is there anybody that has any, any uh, prayer requests you'd like us to remember? Is anybody maybe on this side over here you'd like to, you have a request you want the church to remember? Sister Myrna? Remember the program, the 4th of July program. Be praying for that. Anybody? Yes. Lost loved ones. Anybody else over here? Any other requests? Yes. Silent request? Yes. Okay. Remember Celeste, pray for her. Anybody else over here have any requests? Okay. How about down the middle section here? Does anybody have any requests? Irene? Okay. Remember your grandson, Manita? Hmm. Pray for the Denises as they travel around on deputation. Anybody else down the middle? Yes. Okay. All right. Remember this special unspoken request. Anybody else down the middle? Okay. How about over here on my right? Does anybody have any requests? Brother Raymond. Okay. Remember this request. Anybody else over here? Any requests? I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Yeah. Remember Dot. <coughs> Yes. Silent request. Okay. Remember this. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. All right, sir. Anyone else across the building? Any other requests you'd like the church to remember as we go to the Lord in prayer? How many unspoken requests would we have tonight? Many, many, many hands. So let's remember all these things. Well, I'd like to ask all of you that can and will, if you would like to gather around this altar, you may want to kneel where you're at, but we want to go to the Lord in prayer, and we want to remember our missionary of the week, we want to remember our church of the week, and uh, the Faith Children's Home and Pee Wee Valley Baptist Church, but I'll call on somebody, if they would, to lead us in prayer, and then I will close. Let's see. Um, Brother Tommy Eller, would you mind leading us in prayer, and then I will close our prayer time tonight.
Yes. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this place and we thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and thank you for saving us, Father. And Father, we come before you tonight and we want to lift up these requests, many requests that's been mentioned and many unspoken requests that are on the hearts of your children around the auditorium. Lord, you know each need, you know each request. Some of them are no doubt very serious and Lord, desperately needing a, a word from you and Father, I pray that you would just speak to their hearts. I pray that you would just meet all the individual needs, every need that was mentioned and every request that was lifted up. Lord, we just lift up each one into your hands and we lay it at your feet. And we trust you to take care of each one according to your perfect will. Father, we do want to remember the Faith Children's Home there in Chickamauga, Brother uh, Thompson. Lord, we pray that you would just keep your hand upon him and that home and the needs that they may have, Lord, I pray that you would just meet every need. and Lord, I pray that you would just touch that ministry, touch the workers that are there, encourage their hearts, and just use that ministry for your glory. May many be saved because of that, because of that ministry, and I pray that you would just meet all of their needs. And Lord, we pray for Pee Wee Valley Baptist Church, Brother Lamb there in Louisville. Lord, I pray that you would just bless his ministry. I pray that you would just encourage him this week. Lord, I pray that, the, that it has been a true revival meeting up there. I pray that you have uh, touched the hearts of your children and you have revived their heart and you have encouraged their heart and renewed their vision and their zeal to serve you and to see you moving and working in that place. Lord, I pray that you would just bless that church and use it for your honor and for your glory. And we think of those that are in the hospital. We think of Juanita. We thank of Miss Hubbard and, and others, all these requests that, uh, that, that have been mentioned. Lord, we pray that you would just meet each one according to your will. And Lord, we just, we're so grateful, so thankful for all the things that you're doing in this place. We thank you for our church. We thank you for our pastor and the leaders that we have, the Sunday school teachers, the deacons that we have. And Lord, it's such a joy to come to church here. And, and your presence is, is, is here and we sense you your presence. We see you working and moving and we're so grateful for all the things that you're doing and Lord we continue to submit to you. We continue to yield to you and, and to wait upon you to, to work here and to, and to work your ministry and to, for your honor and for your glory. Lord I thank you for each person that come out tonight. Lord I pray that you'll just give them a special blessing. I pray that you'll just give them a, a good remainder of the week and Lord I pray you'll help us all to uh, show Jesus in our lives and in our faces this week. May the people at work and, and different places that we meet with, Lord, may they see something different about us. May we live our lives in a way that would honor and glorify and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, let's stand to our feet and we'll be dismissed. I understand you had a good Lord's Day Sunday. I hated to miss that. I, I really, really did. But I, I called Ron the first thing Monday morning found the good found out the good report. So we praise the Lord for that. But be back this Sunday, 945 Sunday school. You be faithful to your place. God bless you and you are dismissed. <laughs>